white or is it pine? It is a white kitchen yeah, with, a wood effect, with a wood effect worktop. Knew it. it. I think it's going to look really smart. Yes, it looks smart, but you can't use it. It'll just fall apart. If you chop some tomatoes on it, it'll just collapse. But a kitchen is all in the fitting. Yes, it is. And That's the quality the... of the materials, though. Ask, ask Ikea. You can't Algarve. make a worktop all... out of jelly, can you? No matter how well you fit it, it's, it's going to fall all in the apart. fitting. It, a kitchen is it all in the fitting. It is. It isn't, though, is it? It if is. The starting material isn't good enough. How, it doesn't matter how well you fit it, it's going it to not do the job. You, can, you could fit jam to, <laughs> to toast and make it sort of hermetically sealed if you've really? got the right fitter. Yeah. We are talking about kitchen still here, aren't we? Sort of. I'm not sure. It's very So what in could you, in theory, a worktop, you think you could make it out of cardboard and it, as long as it's fitted correctly, it'll work fine? Uh, yes. If it's fitted yes, ni- is your nice answer. And, yes. If it's fitted nice and tight, Chinch, it will work. Right. What about any water on it? It'll get collapse. Some sort of, get some sort of cladding. Get a, get, get a rack. Cladding? If you put some cardboard with cling film over it and fitted it correctly, ah, now it would work. You're adding cling film to the mix. Hang so on a minute. costs are going up exponentially here. Fitted been... properly with a stapler. <laughs> it's been made very clear on previous podcasts that, Rory, you have no ability with cling film whatsoever. So I wouldn't be no. suggesting that other people use it as an, uh, a be-all and indeed end-all. I'd say cling film is my greatest weakness and my greatest enemy. Why? I just Why? Don't... Because I can't work it. So there's two, there's two, I have two sort of shameful... It's a bit like me and pizza breads, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, same, it's basically same, the yeah, same. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I have two shameful secrets, Chinch. One of mm. which is that I can't work Clinfilm. Clinfilm is a technology that is beyond my remit. Is it getting it off the roll to start with? Is that where but your it, problem is, or just... I tell you what, the problems are legion with Clinfilm. <laughs> it's, it's opening the box. It's, it's getting it off the roll. It's working <laughs> out how to cut it. Do you scissors. use scissors? Do you just don't, te- do you, don't do you, tear it? Don't do you, tear it. Do you use the teeth that are provided on the on the on the cardboard no. box thing? No scissors. No, you need scissors. scissors. It's yeah. then wrapping it round, making it stick to the thing you want to wrap it round, but not itself. But then you suddenly have to make it stick to itself. The whole thing is a nightmare, and I refuse to use it. This is Set Piece Valley, the podcast where four friends in an ever shifting landscape of social restrictions and physical distancing talk football over food. I'm Hugh Ferris. Joining me are Stephen Wyeth of BBC Match of the Day and BT Sport, Rory Smith of the New York Times, and Andy Hinchcliffe of Sky Sports. A number of people that would now constitute a completely underwhelming amount of substitutions in a Premier League game. The food is actually contentious and more contentious than cling film. Uh, Rory and uh, Chinch would like to discuss now cinnamon or chocolate as a sprinkle on freshly brewed coffee. Yeah, I started to do this in, in Portugal. I don't know why I started, but the, the coffees that we have, rather than have chocolate sprinkled on them, I had cinnamon and I find it more enjoyable, but I don't know whether that's culturally or, but it is the done thing to put cinnamon on coffee. Is that, is that right or is it a, a Portuguese thing maybe? So, you know, when you're walking along the street. I don't, tend to, I don't tend to walk along streets. I you, have you, expensive cars. You are largely... <laughs> you don't have expensive cars, Chinch. I do. The, you're the only person in the world who seems to exist exclusively on courtesy cars. I'm I don't a, know what, what your real car man. is, because it appears to be busy. continually being fixed. I'm a busy man. I'm a busy man. They provide cars for me to, anyway. to get to the job that I excel at. I'm not going to apologise for that. Anyway, back to walking down the street, which so I never down the street I get mobbed. I get mobbed. You're walking down the street and you, you sort of semi-trip over. But you, mm-hmm. you have to try and style it out because it's embarrassing. Yeah. So, you, you know, so, some people like me, I'll laugh. I'll have a little laugh to say, I found that very funny. Mm-hmm. I'm still enjoying my day. Mm-hmm. Other people will pretend <laughs> they meant to do it. They'll, other people will, will sort of pretend they, they've got some sort of, sort of difficulty, maybe a twisted ankle, because they, they want to show how serious it is. Having cinnamon on your coffee is the same as styling it out. The reason you put cinnamon on your coffee is because you thought it was brown sugar. No, and then when no, you no. found out it wasn't, no, you no. pretended you did it on purpose. No, no. And now you're sticking with it as some sort of, no. sort of, to, no. to save face, Chinch. That's and what unfair. a face. That's unfair, exactly. It's unfair. I've had cinnamon on my porridge in the past and enjoy, I enjoy cinnamon. I like the taste of cinnamon. I know it's not brown sugar. Chinch, lots of things that go on porridge yeah. don't go in coffee. <laughs> Golden That's syrup, sultanas, raisins, bananas. Yeah. Yes, but still, cinnamon. Stephen, Hugh, is it going to be? Is it going to be <laughs> chocolate <laughs> sprinkles or is it going to be cinnamon? Come on. Chinch's process is thinking. I've had this on porridge. I better be no, nice I like the coffee. taste of cinnamon. It's a sprinkle. It's not going to sink. It's going to help the coffee along. And I like the taste of cinnamon generally. So that's why I went. I didn't just go for anything. 
It's good for anything. Oh, really? I don't like coriander. Let's put that on the coffee, did I? I went with something, a flavouring that I already like, and it works brilliantly. Thank you. Well, no, the problem, the problem with Chinch's desire for cinnamon on his coffee is when you stop at a motorway service station for a, what should be a quick pit stop, mm. Chinch spends half his time pinning the barista up against the wall in his pursuit no. of cinnamon. Just settle, just settle for the chocolate, Chinch, and let everybody get on with their day. In the early days, when I, I asked, do you have cinnamon rather than, than, than chocolate, they looked at me in surprise. But now, it's a surprise if they don't have it. So clearly, I have, I have brought up, upon the country a, a coffee cultural change. And I'll continue to push the envelope, continue with my blue sky thinking. It, it's never going to stop. What next for coffee? Who knows? I feel like that might be the debate that we have uh, throughout this podcast and we won't talk about football. So that's the food. The football, however, is chinch. Do you know what we're talking about today? And it's not cinnamon on coffee. I, I, there was some kind of debate on our WhatsApp group, that I, the one that I am involved in. And I, I read something about football, but I have no idea really what we're talking about. But it'll be fascinating and really enjoyable for everyone who's included in this. Yes, that's interesting because very, very little of what we talk about in our WhatsApp group, which you're included in, is about football. The uh, subject today is the football's back, but did we actually miss the football? Is it actually the paraphernalia and the palaver that makes our pulses quicken? That is all to come. Get in touch with the podcast uh, via email at setpiecemenu at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as ever. And now YouTube, where you can watch both SPM Live, It's Not Live shows. Please subscribe, even if you have no intention whatsoever of watching those shows. That is the Set Piece Menu YouTube channel. So, to our emails today. Well, Ewan Haig is our listener providing us with an SPM back catalogue travelogue, you might remember, with his most recent interjections arriving at about episode 82 during the 2018 World Cup as he attempts to catch up with us all. Well, he has got in touch again about SPM 94. Atavelding, he has called it. We didn't call it that. Dear SPM, select four. Great episode on Atavelding, but both in SPM 94 and all the subsequent discussions, there's been no mention of Dennis Wise. I can only assume he's being saved to be revealed as the captain of the Atavelt Select 11. Looking forward to episode 100, he says naively at that point, Ewan. Uh, then shortly thereafter, this email arrived entitled Atavelt Select 11. First name out of the bowl, Dennis Wise. Correct for 100 points. Total bag, he says. But no Graham Souness. Still looking forward, he says, to episode 100. That's from Ewan. P.S. Are you still making pods during the lockdown? Hope you are recording and all well. Well, you'll find out later, Ewan, uh, that we are. I mean, a, a fascinating time capsule for Ewan when he gets to the lockdown, the lockdown episodes, isn't he? The Corona episodes. Um, yeah, well, Dennis Wise, obviously, total Bag. Soon as I think it's a bit different, just soon as had a really kind of horrible, brutal side, but it was fairly front and center. I don't think he was hiding it. And I, and I think, I think we agreed that you have to hide it a little bit to qualify. Yeah, needed to be something, something insidious about the, your, your nature to have got into either of our Atavelding sides. Mm. Yeah, I must have played against Dennis Wise. I don't remember him being, I never really probably would have come into contact with him. He was that small, I might have just missed him. Uh, but Graham Souness, I work with him and he is an angel. <laughs> I can imagine <laughs> that both those two things are absolutely and equally true. Next up, some of the uh, many emails we've had since last week's show and something else of slightly less significance that happened on the same day of said show's release. Baz Koibasi is in Melbourne and writes this, dear gentlemen who have zero caps for England and Andy Hinchcliffe. In your last episode, you asked the question, is the Premier League still best? Well, yes, yes it is, and here is why. The grass is greener, the picture is clearer, the fans are closer. There are no fences preventing projectiles or pitch invasions, flare smoke or empty seats. The microphones are directed at the stands and even the floodlights are brighter. The Premier League is an entertainment product, and as an entertainment product, the production is, well polished. The Premier League is a brand, not just a league, and while the production as a whole is paramount to that brand without a quality product on the pitch, the production alone is futile. A big budget blockbuster doesn't necessarily make for a good film. Football is not meant to just appeal to the purists. An everyday fan may not be able to appreciate the technicality of La Liga, the defending in Serie A, or whatever the Bundesliga is, but the fast-paced excitement of the Premier League and the fact that more than one or two teams can win it, well, who doesn't love that? The Premier League has two key built-in advantages no other league or sport does. 
First, it operates in a language billions of other people actively speak, or at the very least understand enough to enjoy the dulcet tones of Peter Drury. And second, while those in the UK may detest them, the Premier League's random kickoff times appeal to a much wider audience. A lunchtime start in the UK is a breakfast kickoff in the Americas, a primetime evening game in Asia, a mid-afternoon kickoff for Eastern Europe, and a late-night pre-bed kickoff in Australia. The Premier League is there to appeal to a global audience of billions and not just the 50,000 people who attend match day. In fact, the appetite for Premier League football around the world is so great, it has seen overseas broadcast rights rise from 178 million in 2001 to 4.35 billion for the current cycle. The Premier League knows who their audience is and what they want, and that is what makes it the best league in the world. Not necessarily the league with the best team each year, although it occasionally does that too. Yours in food and football, Baz. That was a very good email. I heartily agree with most of it. I think he's, he's right, though, that it's partly it's the production values, isn't it? The, the language is a massive advantage, but it's the production values of the Premier League that turn it into into such a kind of engaging experience, such a compelling, such kind of compelling broadcast, which is, I guess, why it's odd that there's been this kind of trope in the last few weeks of it's only coming back for the TV money. When you think, well, actually, it is a TV show. That's, I said TV weirdly twice then, sorry. Um, but that's what it is. It, it is a television product more than anything. And its success is because of television. It's, it's rooted in football. But it's, I mean, the acting can be great in, in some sort of drama, but if it's, if it's not produced properly, then it won't be binge-watched by the TikTok generation, I don't know. And the, <laughs> the um, confidence towards the end there already. Yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, not it's not just about the quality of the performance. It has to be presented in the right way and packaged in the right way. And that's where the Premier League, I think, is still streets ahead of everybody else. And, and that's it is the aspect that other leagues look at with the greatest yeah. envy because it's the bit that they feel that they should be able to replicate. I mean, the, the football and, and the language stuff is perhaps beyond anybody's ability to to take and Im implant on their own league but the production values that the the Premier League has is certainly something that I know other leagues have, have been across to Stockley Park and, and had a look at the way that they operate I just pick up on the, the Peter Drury thing by the way you don't have to speak English to appreciate the poetic <laughs> commentary of Peter Drury I don't think we should narrow it down to native English speakers but you do have to have a basic grasp of classics <laughs> <laughs> yes, to understand all the references, you do need to at least have read one epic poem. Yeah. Um, next to two SPM Live It's Not Live audience members getting in touch to prove that we offered something of a gateway drug over those Zoom calls. Firstly, Nick Adams emailed upon the Premier League's assumption to ask this. Will it be football? Will people be interested? Wait, are they interested in football or something else? Like being with friends or getting out of the house? But there was one element missing in this story about people's feelings about football as well. And that is, says Nick, betting look at the nfl it's office pools fantasy football and online gambling that stirs the population in general and paddy power and the others give a reason to care about teams and games that you don't otherwise actually care about so football is back and that is your interest but what odds will you give me that more than 50 percent of the population is excited for its return because of a few quid on burnley to make the europa league or raheem sterling to score a hat-trick against southampton england is a nation of gamblers isn't it any takers that's from nick adams I hope no one's got too much money on Burnley to make the Europa League. <laughs> Not after last night. <laughs> uh, yes, we're recording this on Tuesday. Um, uh, fresh, fresh in our minds is a 5-0 drubbing. Um, so that's from Nick Adams, and it, and it ties into a little bit of what, what we'll be talking about today, as was some of what um, uh, Baz Koivasi was saying from Melbourne. And you might remember Adam Bremner, who's on Long Island, and the title on his email is completely unnecessary. It is Musings by the Pool. He then compounds our misery by starting thus. I'm watching the Spurs-Man United game by the pool that you saw on the most recent Zoom call that I was lucky enough to participate on. The BBQ is going, he says, and we're having hot dogs. Not well, those small oh. weenie ones that Chinch loves so much. These are the beef ones that you BBQ and serve up with a toasted bun with toppings of your choice. Mustard, ketchup, salsa, cheese, etc. Happy to send a photo if Chinch yes. needs some help conceptualising this. That sounds like a foot long. Uh, please also send that photo to Steve so that he can just do a little bit of sick in his mouth. But I digress. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, Adam, not me. NBC Sports is offering an enhanced broadcast, he says, with fake crowd noise. Twas ever thus, Adam. Not sure what's enhanced about it, though. It's really just white noise. No sarcastic cheers when the away team clear the ball out of bounds, etc. It's as if a game is being played on neutral territory and no bias in the crowd noises exists. Make unrealistic noises even more unrealistic. So here's my question. Is it the same fake sounds for every broadcaster or does each broadcaster do it themselves? Do Sky or whoever in the UK do it separately uh, from NBC? 
NBC in the US? If so, could someone do a comparison as to who has the best fake noises? Also, across all the leagues playing right now globally, who do we think is able to fake it better? He finishes. Until the next time, that's Adam. This is, my soccer story is going to be about fan noise. So again, stay tuned. Um, but this is, I was actually sent, and a lot of the guys at Sky were sent, I was sent the Manchester City chants that we had to listen to and say, yeah, they, they all make sense. You know, come on, City, come on, City. Yeah, that's okay. We can use that. Apparently, there is a guy who is watching the game and is actually trying to play in at the right time. Certain chat, that must be really difficult, isn't it? Because you're not completely sure whether the ball's going to hit the back of the net or going to get blocked out for a corner. So you can't put in a real kind of cheer that a goal's going in when it doesn't actually happen. So that must be a horrible job, trying to kind of line up the, the chance with what's actually happening to the teams on the pitch. But from, from watching the highlights of the games, I, I do feel having some noise in the background is better than no noise at all. I don't know whether that's just me. But clearly, it doesn't correspond to the game that you're seeing. But I just feel that burble does does help the game along. I'm also pro fake crowd noise. I think it does. I think the reason it works is because if you don't have it, the silence and the empty seats actually distract you from what's happening on the pitch. I think by adding the noise, you're you're weirdly more likely to pay attention to to the game itself. I think the draping in the Premier League stadiums has worked really well. That's That, to me, is better than the digital fans that they've tried in Italy and Spain um, because it gives the sense that it kind of acknowledges that it's different and that this is not normal. It's not pretending this is this is just what it, what it usually is. It acknowledges that it is a different experience, but it gives the gives the kind of impression that they're playing on almost on a stage rather than in a stadium. And I think it, I think it looks quite nice. Um, the weird thing about the noise, so I know that in England and Spain, and possibly in Italy, they're basically using the noise from FIFA. Yeah. It's the EA Sports crowd noise. But they're different, and they have been implemented differently, and their uses are different. And I think in Spain, to be honest, it's better. The, Ger- the, the German fake crowd noise, which we only relatively recently got access to in Britain, is, um, I think, widely accepted as being the best. But given that the Germans have... have essentially finished their season already and everyone else is just getting started they've had time to practice but no I think that they're drawing it from somewhere else that's not from EA Sports that's their own that's their own soundboard I think that they're using I, I couldn't disagree more about the sound by the way I'm much I know, I know this demonstrates how out of touch I am with the majority because all of the broadcasters their their primary choice is to have it with the fake crowd noise but I can't stand it. I much, much prefer it without. I can't understand how anybody can watch a game in an empty stadium, a stadium that clearly only has a few hundred people in, yet the soundtrack is as though there are thousands of people in there. It's like the equivalent of canned laughter in a comedy. I'd, I'd rather decide myself when to laugh at the comedy rather than have somebody previously have decided when they're going to play that laughter track in and I just it, I much prefer it without and I don't it, it it grates with me with the sound there and I know I'm completely in the minority with this but I just it seems completely incongruous to watch a football game being played in an empty stadium yet the noise would suggest that there's 30,000 people in there you see I quite like canned laughter I like being well, told we go. this is funny you know the, the main the main issue for me is the the players I feel are missing the noise as well and if, if, if you could have, I know they probably can't do it, presumably there's a reason maybe any noise within the stadium would be broadcast. But for the players, when you're standing pit side and even when the players are warming up and you can hear every shout, it's so alien that I, I feel if we weren't broadcasting the games, if you played a generic soundtrack of crowd noise while the game was going on, it would help the players enormously. Even though they don't, clearly the fans aren't there, they don't say, but when you're playing, that noise that you hear, I just wonder whether that would help the games along. The players are the ones we've not really thought about in terms of the fan noise. We think about viewers, maybe broadcasters as well. But the second game that I did, we were discussing this. And I just want, as a former player, very talented player, international player, I would certainly have found the benefit or from feeling that noise come down from the stands or from the tunnel, you'd feel like there was a crowd there. Okay, you're kidding the players, but still it might actually psychologically help them play with a little bit more freedom. I know you're too big time for the championship at the moment, Chinch. It's all about the Premier League. Yeah, massive, massive. But they did try this, apparently, in the championship at some grounds over the course of the weekend. And they Mm. had the guy who was doing it at Queen's Park Rangers on the radio on Saturday evening explaining how they did it. And the the reason for doing it was to try and give the players a sense of normality. And they actually had the, the crowd. They had speakers in different parts of the stadium, including one in the away end playing 
the hubbub of the away fans. Yeah. He had a, they had a couple of laptops with about 12 different noise options, which, had, which, which was effectively a soundboard, like a cart wall for anybody who's, who's used that kind of thing in, in radio or audio broadcasting, where they could effectively just press the screen, the relevant button on an iPad and, and play the right, what they believe to be the right noise at the right time in the right part of the stadium. And, and although they did have some away noise, their primary intention for that was to give the home team, to give QPR that sense of some degree of normality. Yeah, I think my argument would, you can't say it's going to be for the home and away. You just do a generic, and this is the story I'm going to tell later on. It's a generic soundtrack. So it's not cheering the home team more than the away team. It's just a general noise. Because the players are so, that's, that's, that's what they've been used to for all their careers. It doesn't matter whether there's 5,000 or 50,000. There's still going to be a, a noise coming down onto the players. And yeah, I, I wouldn't make it specific to the teams. I'd just be interesting. Again, it's a social experiment. Just, just play generic fan sound whether that can be found and it can be and just just see whether it helps the players along but no you can't make it specific to the teams and that's too much that's unfair if we're trying to gain an advantage by doing it for the home team basically aren't you more than the away team the danger is you know what they did it at Borough Swansea and Swansea were 3-0 up within about seven minutes and, and did you'd have thought well strictly speaking to give the players a sense of normality the, the guy should just press the boo button now the guy running the soundtrack was instantly sacked after <laughs> half an hour it was clearly his but, fault Listen to I was a major I was, defensive error there. The goalkeeper's dad doesn't matter. You played the wrong track <laughs> at the wrong time. The um, I was listening to Vicky Sparks who was doing the, co- the commentary on it for Five Live, and she said she she said that it's interesting that we barely see we've, over the first kind of um, the first what week I guess of Premier League football, we've not seen any real action at all in the first half of games. Like the goal split is like twenty eighty to the second half. And she, she was sort of su- suggesting that perhaps that's to do with players getting used to the silence and the lack of intensity and all that stuff, which makes sense to me. And she did sort of postulate that, that it could be that, that putting the noise into the stadiums could, could maybe change that a little bit and give, the, give the, the game that sense of intensity that it's lacking. But I know that before the Coppa Italia final uh, last week, they were experimenting with doing it in the Stadio Olimpico and both Juventus and Napoli objected and said that they thought it would distract the players. They, they didn't want it. They wanted it. They said, look, try and do it on the TV, but you don't, just don't pump it into the stadium. So whether the players might find it difficult to have this kind of random noise that's completely out of kilter with what's actually happening, that might prove counter, counterproductive. And one thing I will say is that the, the person who is given the task of doing this for each and every broadcast, not just broadcasters, there will be somebody, I would imagine, with a soundboard pumping in those noises, whether they come from EA Sports or elsewhere. The skill associated with that will be something that is felt keenly, I would imagine, by those paying a lot of attention. So, for example, I think in the, in the Southampton-Norwich game, there was a cheer that was way too late to make it seem to make it seem suitable. And there was, for example, in one of the other games, I can't remember, I don't know who I'm giving credit to, uh, where there was a beautifully timed boo when one of the home team got booked by the referee. So these, these little kind of uh, understanding what works and understanding the kind of pace of, of a game and what, what genuinely feels authentic, that is going to be, there will be industry leaders that will be incredibly important and sought after for the next few months and then they'll be completely irrelevant thereafter. But the, the skill associated with it, if you are paying attention, is noticeable. And, um, and I think the problem is, is that often those who aren't very good at it, it makes for, the, for a much worse experience. So it's like you're like a crowd noise DJ, aren't you? Trying to yeah, just yeah, yeah, exactly. three or four seconds, you're trying to feel, you know, I've been to many raves, Ibiza and all that, you know, I can't go into some great stories there. Um, but you're trying to feel the crowd and what, what they might want. Do they want Jocelyn Brown? Yeah, it, do they want some kind of... Uh, it's a know, rave. Take that. <laughs> it's what a do rave. they want? You've got to feel the crowd and decide what you go with. But it must be, that must be a real... But they're not, trying to, they're not kidding anybody. We all know how the setup is. So I think we've got to understand that actually, and it's just, again, whether people do prefer it or not, it's never going to be time. It's really, really hard to do that. It's amazing to actually get anything right in terms of goals going in or bookings. And this is sort of the reason I prefer it without, because these are unusual times. The games are being played under extraordinary circumstances, and shouldn't we just watch them for what they are at the moment? Because what's to stop at the beginning of next season when maybe there's 25 30% capacity allowed in stadium to then be supplementing the noise with additional effects or when we do you know and let's hope that happens sooner rather than later have stadiums full again is there going to be a temptation if there's a a stadium that's notoriously quite quiet in the main that they would add to the the noise then to to bring it back to the kind of level that 
that viewers on the television have become used to. You know, that they might be a bit distracted. As a viewer at home, you might be distracted as to why there's not suddenly crowd noise in a stadium that appears to be full. Uh, so, uh, an email from Adam Bremner titled Musings by the Pool gave you, what, 10 minutes of hot content. So, thank you, Adam. Any correspondence to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. So then, 41 minutes into the resumption of the Premier League, how many of you are thinking, ah, yes, Aston Villa nil, Sheffield United nil, this is what it's all about. Then, as Oliver Norwood swept in a free kick and Oyan Nealand went to claim it, something happened. Something that appeared to make everything right in the world again. A controversy, a talking point, an unforeseen yet frankly inexcusable failure. And we were back. Suddenly the nonsense that surrounds football became what that particular football game was about. Then over the course of the next few days we had David Luiz being David Luiz, Roy Keane doing his best version of what now seems to be professionally Roy Keane, and also a plane flying above the Etihad. All things that make the Premier League what it is, which is a lot more than just 22 players plus 10 more from the bench. Yes, 10 kicking a ball around in a certain way. Consider this an accompaniment to SPM 170 when we invoked the Marina Hydeism football adjacent. That was about arguments during the lockdown. This is about matters related, albeit just as tangentially, to what happens on the pitch. So the football is back, but did we actually miss the football? Is it actually the paraphernalia and the palaver that makes our pulses quicken? I'm going to say that it's, it's actually less What's the word? Like, like that's a slightly pejorative way of looking at it. Hugh, I, someone someone sent me this this quote in an email the other day, and I think it's I think it really sort of it really chimed with me that and it, it was initially applied to baseball, but but I think it applies equally well in football. That football is the conversation around it, and I think that's I've been. It's really interesting. Like this this whole period for football, I think, is really interesting, and one of the things I thought a lot about the last couple of weeks was kind of what we thought we were going to get back when, when the Premier League returned. Just the vast majority of people haven't been watching Bundesliga games. They've missed out to an extent, but the vast majority of people watch football that feels in some way connected to them. So it's either places they've heard of, people, players they've heard of, teams that might affect the performance or the hopes or dreams of their team, teams that they have rivalries with, blah, 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 blah. That's why you watch your, your native football. Um, and I, I think there was always going to be a danger that we discussed last week from memory that when it came back, it would look worse. And we would say, well, it's worse because there's no fans there and it's worse because the players aren't fully fit, both of which are true, but largely or certainly a substantial proportion of it is that we, we kind of remember football wrong, that, that we, when we think of football, we think of the highlights of football. We, we don't think of what, what most games are like because most games, as all of us can can I think attest are waiting for people to take throw-ins that is the thing that happens most often in football is that you find yourself waiting for someone to take a throw-in and that that was always going to be a problem that it would it would come back onto our screens and we'd be thinking right great this is going to be Liverpool for Barcelona nil this is going to be Spurs coming back in injury time against Ajax this is going to be Istanbul this is going to be Barcelona this is going to be amazing and then you'll be like oh no it's it's Villa Sheffield United and to me most of the games that I've watched on TV have looked basically like most Premier League games. I, I was at the Merseyside derby and, and you sort of heard the, the sort of mutterings of, well, this is terrible. It's not the same without the fans. And you think, no, it's, it is worse without the fans, but this is genuinely what all Merseyside derbies at Goodison are like. There is, I've, I've been to, I don't know, half a dozen, eight Merseyside derbies at Goodison. They're all dreadful. They're not good games ever. And that, that trick of the memory I think is really important. But then with those examples that you cited, what occurred to me was how, how quickly people latched on to those issues, how much like traction Roy Keane got for what was a fairly absurd rant about a relatively minor mistake. And it became this conversation about whether he's playing a character or not. You know, is, is, he, is he hamming it up? Is he, is he now professionally Roy Keane? Or is conversation it conversation you started, Rory? <laughs> I, I had, I had a, um, a role in, I would never say, I've, I don't know if I've ever started a conversation, Steve. I finished a few. You people, said, I feel like leave you, the room. I, I certainly feel like you pulled the trigger on the starters possibly that conversation. Well, you know, you, you maybe it's nice to be influential, I suppose. The, but do you know what I mean? Like people really latched onto that. Or oh, the, the VAR thing, at, uh, not the VAR thing, the, the GDS thing at Villa. People would, were so relieved. Like I hate those conversations. Like it was a, like the goal decision system made a mistake, VAR made a mistake, whatever, just leave it. It's just a mistake. But it becomes this sort of talking point for days and days afterwards. And it really occurred to me that not just in the media, but, but as fans in general, what we really want from football is something to talk about. We want the conversation around it. And I've always thought that, that that's the, the unnecessary paraphernalia of football. 
But actually, maybe, and we can see this in its absence, maybe that's what we need the most. That's okay, though, isn't it? It's supposed to be more than just about the 90 minutes. And something we were talking about last week was that that was going to be the difficult thing for the broadcasters to deal with, the fact that they didn't have the usual paraphernalia and atmosphere in the build-up to and surrounding the games. So isn't it encouraging that in that first round of Premier League or first round and a half of Premier League fixtures that we have had other things to engage as that isn't just about waiting for players to take throw-ins, that there has been controversy to spark the debate and that Roy Keane has said something that has generated a conversation beyond that piece of half-time analysis and that has given... Because I, I, I didn't necessarily buy into this, oh, Roy Keane is playing a character and that is an antiquated piece of punditry because I quite enjoyed the, the insight that that gave us as to what <coughs> perhaps should or might have in the past have been happening in an elite team's dressing room to address those sort of problems. And, and you, you find yourself asking the question, not well, things were different or better in the old days, but that, again, tagging into a conversation we had at, at the other week about leaders and influences and ranting and raving in, in Premier League dressing rooms as to whether actually the, the mistake that David De Gea made or the mistakes that he has uncharacteristically made during the course of this season, would those sorts of things have been addressed under a different regime? Uh, would, would it have been able to get to the stage when you had Roy Keane's head exploding about, as Rory said, a, a relatively sort of minor mistake that, yes, led to a goal? Or, and, and then also with what he said about Harry Maguire, you know, when you talk, well, no one ever really looks at Virgil van Dijk and says, well, he's done something there which suggests he doesn't justify his huge transfer fee. Whereas that was certainly a moment in which he said, was that the way in which an £80 million central defender should have been dealing with that situation? I think it's good that we've had those other things to talk about. Of course it's good to have all these talking points around the game, but was Roy Keane wrong? Okay, how he maybe says the things that he says. Is he playing up to being rookie? But I listened to what he said, and if you, I, I couldn't disagree with what he was saying in terms of De Gea and, and Maguire. I felt it was absolutely spot. That's what he's there to bring, not just, again, you've got to be very careful here because you think, well, I, I've got points to make, but with it being Man United, with him being Roy Keane, you can take it to levels that you shouldn't do unnecessarily. But I don't think he took that to unnecessary levels. He did the job that he's there to do, but he did it maybe in, in, a, in, a, in a kind of an expanded way, in a more kind of... Um, an unusual way but again that, that will be the worry don't, don't play up to being Roy Keane say what you really feel say it so people can understand it and I, I couldn't disagree with the, the, the two points he, he made about the players I think I th no I mean the, the, his basic point was completely right like there was the, the, you know there's a question mark over I actually I was surprised when I kind of I didn't tune in initially I, I tend to go and you know get a drink during half time because chinch isn't on so what's the point exactly but the um I was surprised that he seemed angrier at De Gea than Maguire because Maguire was really bad. De Gea made a technical error with his feet and stuff, but it ha that sort of thing happens. He's a bit rusty, maybe whatever. Um, I think I think the problem with it is that he his core point was fine, totally legitimate, probably probably right in my eyes. It was the theatricality of it, yeah, and that's yeah. that's what I mean by kind of is he like Roy Keane is like that, but is he being like that? A bit more on purpose. Is he doing it? Does he think that kind of that's the role he's there to fulfil? He might not be. I maybe wouldn't say it to his face. But the <laughs> but haven't we criticised coaches like Jurgen Klopp for for playing Jurgen for, Klopp? This, yeah, this the, is yeah. what we're seeing from people in front of the camera that they're starting to play act a little bit and play up to what maybe their fans expect or or the public expects. I think there's a diff there's a slight difference with so what Jurgen Klopp does is performative in the like the the literal Judith Butler sense where he's, he's behaving in a certain way to, to, to make something happen. So Klopp has to be like that, like Guardiola. They have to be like that to make their players enact the, the style of play that they want them to play. So if you couldn't, you couldn't be a coach of a team like, like, like Klopp's teams and be really passive on the sideline. It is, it, that, that's what to be performative literally is meant, in the sort of academic sense is meant to mean. Keane feels more performative in the sense that most of us mean it, that he's kind of pretending. It's like a sats. It's, he's, he's hamming it up to, to create an impression. He's not, he's not making something happen. It's not, he, those words are not kind of leading to a direct action. It's just, that's just Roy Keane trying to get attention effectively. And I think 
I think the danger is that he actually undermines his own point. Does he? It kind of gets laughed off. It becomes like a bit of it becomes like a viral banter clip of <laughs> isn't Roy Keane funny? Isn't he? Isn't he hilarious? Saying he he punched David de Gea, and. And I think that's where he loses me a little bit. But the broader point is true that, like, this is what we're talking about. People are genuinely interested. People are really interested in the art of punditry. They're interested in the motivations of pundits and journalists. And I think that's what those... It's really easy to sneer at the Premier League, not the Premier League, English football's obsession with trivia, with the trivial sort of goings-on on on, off the pitch, or, well, on the pitch or off the pitch, that it's really easy to think, well, don't we, don't we as a kind of football culture get really distracted by all this kind of meaningless ephemera? But actually that's what we miss. That's, they're, they're the building blocks of, football, of the football culture is the, the chance to have something to talk about. We've all got an opinion on Roy Keane. Some of us are right. And the, that, that more than kind of, more than the games themselves is what, is what we miss when football's absent, is that chance to have something to talk about, to have this kind of guiding narrative through our lives. Because most of the games are what we've seen, whether fans are there or not, most of the games are waiting for people to take throw-ins. Is Roy Keane not being literally performative in that more academic sense, but the, the, the result of his performative nature is to do exactly what you've just listed there, Rory. It's to get clips that are viral now he might be doing it for a reason because he wants to be continually employed by his employer he might be doing it because he has a sense of self that is inflated he might be doing it for all manner of reasons he might be doing it because he genuinely feels it and that's the way that that he is it only takes a very small leap for Roy Keane to be Roy Keane before then becoming professionally Roy Keane because that is his character and Mm. we're talking about something about about how the paraphernalia around the game is something that the conversation is something that we actually love as much as or more than the game itself. But the way that the Premier League restart is going to reflect that, there are two strands to to the palaver and the paraphernalia. One is being created in a vacuum, which is going to be difficult because, as Steve says, the production cannot reflect the atmosphere. Mm. So you're going to either have to make the decision, are you going to create something artificially, which we've already had a discussion about, both Roy Keane and indeed fan noise. But also the other thing is to try and make the most of what can be already there, like VAR, like goal decision system, like all the things that are inherently in a football game that can be transposed and then inflated in the production and made part of the conversation. So that it's slightly different now. You cannot rely on fans and an atmosphere to generate those talking points, but you can, if you have somebody like Roy Keane, self-generate and also you come to rely on things that happen in and around the game that aren't the game and of course that culminated on Monday night's banner above the Etihad which was probably the biggest talking point of a game which was not a contest in any way in terms of its football so can you understand that there are it's a different environment in which this paraphernalia and this palaver is being created but it's almost like because one half of it cannot be there because you haven't got the fans in an atmosphere to kind of generate those emotions that are relative to what's going on. You have to almost focus in more on those little mistakes by David De Gea, by Harry Maguire, and what Roy Keane does on the television in his description thereof. Well, yeah, and in fact, I'd say it's an even greater proportion than that because the other thing that we're missing is, is that sense of like narrative continuity. So it's really hard just off one game for the first time in three months when everyone's kind of semi-fit and like we don't really know if form counts. So you, you hear people saying, oh, of course, you know, Brighton have now only won, haven't won a home game since blah, 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 or whatever. And you think, well, is that really relevant? What they were doing in February? Is that, like, do they care? Probably not. I wouldn't have thought so. I well, think Bur- the team... Burnley who- were seven unbeaten before they got thrashed well, exactly. by Manchester City. It's irrelevant. You, you know, for, I think for teams that, that were in a bad run of form before the hiatus there's probably a chance to reset. I think that's probably fair. But for teams that were going well, the fact they were going well in March doesn't matter now. Mm. So because this, this part of the season is still part of the season, but it's, it's effectively happening in, in isolation, we don't have the talking points of such and such is under pressure or you know, this, this team's you know, doing this well or this team's doing this badly. We're having to wait for those talking points to come, to come up for that sense of, right, this is where we are now to kind of return to us, which is why actually David Luiz has played a really crucial role in Project Restart. And Arsenal have played a really crucial role, and this won't be any solace to their fans, but to have that immediate storyline of, right, actually Arsenal are now at a real turning point, they're in a real crossroads, they've got this, this, this sort of mismatched squad and it's not working, and, and, and it was always a bit of a myth that they're in the Champions League race, but 
you could see why people decided to buy into that as we, we got ready for the return of the league. It's actually been really useful to have that, that, that pure football talking point to make us think, right, to, to almost to kind of get, to get us as, as observers out of our pre-season mode. It's an immediate, you always struggle in the first couple of games of the season for, to kind of work out what any of it means, because none of it really means anything. Everyone's kind of jostling for position. And for Louise to, you know, to come on, get sent off, for Arsenal to lose twice has been really useful. It reminds us of the rhythms of this is what it's meant to be like to talk about football. This is how we do it. And I think that that is the thing that we miss most of all, is that sense of th- this is a subject that fascinates millions of us and we need it to have something to talk about. That's the part of our lives that it occupies. Yeah, in terms of preparation, what I've done is basically drawn a line under what happened early in the season. From August to March is one thing. The time that the players have had off is, is probably 50% longer than they have normally from season to season. So clearly we have to understand this is, this is going to be nothing like what we've seen up until March. So I've, I've tended just to basically looking at teams and lineups and everything else. Forget all that. You've got to start afresh and take this as a whole new set of circumstances. But again, with Roy Keane, the mistake, yes, we know why the players are making these mistakes. They're not as sharp. They're not as fit. But I still think it, it has to be said, and I've been critical or kind of praised um, players in the first couple of games that I've done. But again, you always qualify that by saying, well, it will improve and hopefully it will improve game by game. But it's such an odd set of circumstances. To be playing games in June, we do have to understand. But I think what the helpful thing is the football itself hasn't been that brilliant which is again understandable because of the break but to have all these talking points again it just reminds us why we love the game so much it isn't just what's happening on the pitch that we talk about it's all the stuff around it with VAR and and kind of banners being flown from planes and stuff so there's what it really just makes it underlines that football is much more than than just the players playing what happens on the pitch is the framework for for, for everything that happens but it's the the same as in is in the summer isn't it that like football doesn't football the kind of entertainment complex doesn't need football the sport mm. to keep on rolling because in the summer you get we, we, we're never short of talking points in the summer and there's no football my kate says to me every year you know it should be nice and quiet you know in the, in that in that lull between like mid-july when everything's definitely finished and mid-august when the season started and she says oh you know at least be nice and quiet and and i think yeah be nice and quiet it's never quiet because there's always stuff going on and i think that that maybe we overestimate almost how much a part, and maybe that's the broader issue, is like what proportion of, of our interest in football actually relates to the bit where there's a ball on the pitch? Because it's not, it's not 90%, it's not 80%. Oh. Mm-hmm. It, it might be 50 but it, it may not even be that. It's like a mini tournament, isn't it, this resumption? And I'm surprised that more people haven't viewed it in, in such a, a way that they envisaged that the, the season was going to pick up where it left off, that the expectation that the... This, this idea that because the games, you know, people, people assumed it wasn't going to be as intense at, in June as it was in March. But why did you ever think or anticipate that that might be the case? That, that clearly was never going to be in the same way as all that conversation about, well, what about contracts running out at the end of June? We're in a unique set of circumstances and we should have been accepting that, that the games were going to get finished under criteria that were very different to, to what we were used to and that we should be viewing this as a mini tournament in terms of, well, those who have got things to achieve in the final eight or nine games of the season need to try and achieve those in the context of looking at these games in isolation almost rather than worrying about what's gone before and then also the the talking points that these matches are generating because they're so beautifully spread out that they've got the feel of a a major tournament kind of thing where you've got an early afternoon kickoff early evening nighttime kickoff you can sit and watch seven games over the course of a weekend and that maybe Arsenal have taken on the role of England in a major tournament with David Luiz as the the scapegoat player whose performance has been drilled into and scrutinized and he's had quite rightly been criticized for his performance but that seemingly goes back out the window the next time that Arsenal play and something else is involved in, in their game, which gives you something, as, as it did do with the injury to Bernd Leno and the behaviour of Guendouzi at full time against Brighton. Well, you can forget David Luiz now because the, the scrutiny is on, on how easily Guendouzi was tricked almost into reacting to, to Mope in such a way that he was very lucky to escape a suspension. So that then gives you a talking point for a few days until Arsenal 
play again. And the other thing that will link it quite nicely with the major tournament is that when we do, after the weekend coming up, have a bit of a break between games, it'll be like that window between the last 16 and the quarterfinals of a World Cup where suddenly you've got two or three days without football and you don't know what to do with yourself. I'm yes, furious. and you're furious. Yes, exactly. You're furious yeah. about I, it. Seriously, I, I mean, I cannot, I, I don't know why I only realised this week. Why on earth are they playing the FA Cup quarterfinals so early? Just well, they, get the lead finished. That you, you don't know what's going to happen. All of the TV rebates are dependent on the lead finishing. Get the lead. In every other country has had the common sense to say, as Steve says, like we're not in a, this is totally tangential. I'm really sorry. And it, I, I'm, I'm monologuing again, which I'm very conscious of. But like every other country's had the, the common sense to say, we are not going to pretend that this is still March and that the structure of the season, the schedule of the season, has to be the same as it was. It's such an English thing to do for the FA, who generally played a bit of a blinder with, with kind of guiding the Premier League and the EFL through, through this, the, the nettles and weeds of, 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 of the hiatus. It's such an English thing for, for the FA to say, well, 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 the quarterfinals were meant to be then, so we'll have to play them then. Get the lead finished and then let the players, the vast majority of the players, have a, you know, they don't need a long break, but you, you want to start next season as quickly as possible, which I don't think is necessarily the right thing to do. But you, what you're doing is, is dragging it out. So you've got this period where these half-fit players have got three games in nine days, and then most of them have got a week off. You, I mean, don't do that. Space the games out more. Play the FA Cup at the end of it, or like the Italians did, do it first. But Liverpool don't have a game, do they, for, for eight days after they play Crystal Palace? And the next game that they play is against City. And City have two games in between uh, what they played against Burnley and then the, the, the Liverpool game, just to kind of give you an example of how, how the structure, even in this crazy time when everybody's supposed to be playing a lot and uh, aligned to make the best of it, are, um, it, it's a, it is a little bit awry. But even well, that but... is part of the conversation. That's the, that, that's the stuff about football that we like, is that, is that sense of... Is it stu- to me, it's stupid that the... I get why they're televising every game, obviously, but how kind of, what's the word, uneven the table looks. They got to that point after the the games on Wednesday where everyone had played the same number of games. You thought, right, good, you need to maintain that. And now it's not going to be like that for ages. And you think, well, you're causing problems for yourselves. But this is the conversation. This is what we like. Burnley play twice in 68 hours, three times in six days, and then they get a week off. <laughs> and, they had to, and they haven't got any players because they're all out of contract. It's insane. They had to wait until the Monday of yeah. the yeah. first weekend of fixtures before playing their first game when City were playing their second game in playing Burnley that night. The, 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 to invoke two of the great writers of our age, Marina Hyde and Roderick Smith, that the, the conversation takes place, yes, adjacent. It can, the football entertainment complex can continue without any football. But we must draw the contrast between what we were talking about originally, which is about the football conversation existing without any football and the intensity of that conversation continuing in a way that we were familiar with. At least the conversation now, and Rory, you mentioned 50% about uh, how much of the game actually contributes to that conversation. At least there is a percentage of it because originally when we were talking about this, that percentage was zero. There was no football, and yet we were having 100% of our normal daily conversation, it appeared. So at least we should say now there is a difference. There is some contributory factor coming from 11 versus 11 on the field, and it may well be not enough. It may well be plenty, but the fact is at least that is happening and prompting that same conversation. I can't quite think what the parallel is, but it's basically we think of football as the... When we think of football, we think of the games as the storyline but they're not. The games are the jumping off points for the storylines. And that, that's, it sounds like a really esoteric, like liminal, like detail difference, but it's not. It's a, fairly, it's a fairly fundamental difference, I think, in terms of how we think about football. So yeah, yeah the, you're right, totally right, that the, the games are now providing the talking points, but that doesn't mean the talking points are the games. The games are just a part of it. It's the Gwendouzi thing happened after the final whistle. You know, the villa, the thing at Villa was kind of a technological, we're talking about the tech, does the technology work? Should we get rid of the technology? Let's get rid of the technology. It doesn't work all of the time. I heard someone say the other day that the, the, Dolders, the Hawkeye system has been proven to work in over, worked flawlessly in over 5,000 games or something. I think it was even more than that. I think it, I think it was the first time in 9,000 oh, yeah. games that that yeah. sort of thing had come up. And, so, and they said, oh, yeah, but obviously in, in most games, there's no, there's no, there's no call for, for goal decision technology. So, so it's probably only 400 games and I need it to work more often than that. You think, well, how? 
how do you want it to work more often that what is what are you expecting like you it was a weird confluence of factors but nothing nothing is flawless you just have to accept that the exact the precise position of the ball the, the defender the goalkeeper all that occluded as the word the, the word it, which is actually the, just the correct word like well well done hawkeye <laughs> for not dumbing it down and having a vocabulary but all that stuff is is like you say adjacent to the game but it happened only because of the game but it happens could, because of the game yes. and that, that's the role the games play is they're not the storyline they are the, the jumping off point for the storyline. but you, you they are the foundation you would not be able to have those particular conversations which are now a massive majority of the conversations that we're having you could not have that without the football, the chinch, when that, when that moment happened, because yes. you, were, you were part of the commentary team yeah. uh, on the excellent Sky Sports broadcast. And what better way to reintroduce the Premier League than to have <laughs> Andy Hinchcliffe in your ears and it's, your it's eyes? It's the only way, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Games, Let's, big guys. Start slowly the and, and then build up to the peak. Um, but but when, when that happened, first of all, it was massively confusing because you have come it to was. rely on everything working correctly with that element. Yeah. How much or how grateful were you from a cynical point of view, in having something to talk about, which was adjacent to the, the, the matters on the pitch, but was the biggest talking point of what was not a particularly entertaining game. Yeah, I, I can't say that the game was that bad that we needed something like that. But it, the, the strange thing was, is because the system is so reliable, that even though your eyes are telling you the ball is over the line, you, and, and I think most people were in this position as well, maybe even VAR were in this position as well, is that, well, if the referee, all, all you did tend to do in that situation, look at the referee, he's clearly saying, my, my, it's not vibrating. I, I, I would be told if the ball is over the line because every time it, it's worked flawlessly. So it's kind of, you, you, you don't really understand what you see. It doesn't make any sense because you think, well, that technology is so reliable that I, I, it can't be over the line. I must be wrong. And then everyone's thinking the same thing as well. And I'm sure, well, my, my, my it pretty clearly was, it was, there was something wrong. We knew that after maybe a minute or two, we knew there was something wrong with, with Hawkeye. We get some kind of feedback. The director hears from Hawkeye what's going on there. My, my big point was actually, well, what's VAR's role in this? Because if that system is occluded, great word. If it doesn't work, it, now that's happened. Now, the next stage is, is this VAR's remit? Did they know that this is a, a situation that they can step in and deal with? And apparently they, they, they should have done. But they were probably like everybody else, watching those pictures thinking, that looks in, but wait a minute. The, the, the system's saying no, so it must be no. And it took, there's apparently a minute before the next stoppage in play, the, the VAR could have actually stepped in there. So my big question to the directors and the producers was, what is the, what, what's the story of VAR? Because they're the only people that can affect this. They're the only people that can actually make the decision that, that we've all seen. So that was the, the, the fascinating, it did take a while for us to actually get to the point that it, it should have been VAR that actually dealt with that because the, the, the system didn't work and it was really weird that it didn't, but it wasn't Hawkeye's fault. Don't ditch the system because of this. It's just a freak occurrence and clearly Sheffield United not happy, Villa very happy. But my, my, let's move on to VAR because they're the people, they're like us, but they've got the capability of actually stopping the game and saying that is a goal we need. But they will maybe think, well, if we do this and, and actually it's shown that the, the GDS system was right, we're going to look really stupid here as well. So everybody seemed to be maybe a bit paralysed by the whole because it was so unusual and maybe that was the problem for everybody, VAR included. They weren't really sure what they were witnessing and whether they should step because all the, all the briefings we had with VAR, a, a breakdown in the goal detection system was never discussed, never mentioned at all. So again, you start to think, well, did, did they still know that that's their remit to step in if that happens? And again, we're going to have to find out in probably the weeks to come of, of, of whether they, they should, but apparently they, they should have done, they made an excuse about why they didn't, that VAR was really my big kind of issue with this is whether they should have dealt with it and they, and they should have done. Yeah, I really agree with Chinch there. It struck me as extraordinary that Hawkeye came out, held their hands up, mea culpa, there's been a mistake, there's been a problem with the system, one that we didn't envisage. First time in over 9,000 games that something like this has come up, we apologise to all involved. And from the point of view of VAR, that was seen as, oh, well, we'll wash our hands of this and they, they've taken responsibility, so we don't need to accept any whatsoever. And it seemed like a really strange position to take is that, as I think I understand their somewhat garbled statement, they effectively said, because the goal line detection system didn't work, the referee didn't get a notification. And because the referee didn't get a notification, we didn't feel the need to nonsense. step in and deal it's with nonsense. it. it was just I, I didn't understand that explanation. It's nonsense. They effectively said, because one system didn't work, we couldn't step in. No, mm. surely those are exactly the circumstances exactly, under yes, which yes. you do step Abs in. Absolutely. 
uh, a baffling situation. I just want to finish the conversation by asking um, a, a question about the percentages that we've spoken about contributory factors in our conversation. At what point do we think that the football might edge up slightly? Is it because of the, the nature of the hiatus and the fact that fitness isn't necessarily there, cohesion isn't necessarily there at the moment, that the football will start to be more of a talking point because things will start to be won? And I appreciate when things are on the line, <laughs> often the conversation goes even further away from what's happening on the pitch. And it's more of the paraphernalia and the palaver. But there, is there a sense that as the, this, this small season continues, that the football actually will contribute a little bit more? Chinch, are you hopeful? I mean, it's... Um, I don't think the, fo- I think the standard of the football will clearly improve. But there's, there's been plenty of talking points in terms of how teams are playing, how individuals are coping with this, the kind of the team lineups and the contract situation of players not being available or, or being available. So that I feel there has been enough to talk about on the pitch in terms of the teams and the players, but in terms of the standard of the football, from that first of Villa Sheffield United game, when all the players looked really confused about how to approach it, it the second game again, the New, Newcastle Sheffield United again, there seemed to be a little bit more, okay, we understand what this is going to be like. So I think the standard will improve, but we, we have had talking points on the pitch as well as off it. I, I think... To, I know what you mean. Like, I think once stuff, once stuff starts being won, that then becomes a kind of exploration to an extent of, of why things have been won and if it's been deserved and if there's an asterisk and if it's a tainted title and all that stuff. Um, I think more important will be things like uh, Champions League, relegation. We, we tend to talk mostly about why teams have failed more than why teams have succeeded because it's a bit, to be honest, it, it can be more interesting and it's, Certainly from a kind of media point of view, it's a lot more emotive. Um, I, I agree with Chinch. I think if you... Certainly in Germany... Steve, Steve might, might, might have a different view, but in Germany, it felt that it took them two or three games for the teams to, to kind of find their rhythm a little bit. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in the second round of games as that, as that starts. As, as, as we say, I don't think... Well, I was actually thinking, thinking last night, City obviously have played twice now and, I mean, hit the ground running pretty, apart from the first 20 minutes against Arsenal, City hit the ground running straight away. Their quality sort of shone through. Um, Arsenal, I guess, are the converse that you sort of thought, well, if Arsenal, fair enough, City away is incredibly difficult, obviously, but Arsenal really should have been able to, Arsenal should have basically been fitter than, than Brighton, much, or maybe not fitter, but sharper than Brighton for that, that first game, but weren't. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how the teams kind of, how they fare as they've got two or three games under their belt. Once it's not weird being in an empty stadium, certainly being at the Derby on, on Sunday, it did feel a little bit... Liverpool didn't play like it was a pre-season friendly, but I think if you look at the pattern of Klopp's substitutions, it gave it a bit of an air of a pre-season friendly. He was determined to use his five substitutes as early as possible. So I, I think as, as the games sort of... As teams get games under their belts, the standard should improve. But I don't know if that means we'll talk about it anymore because there's what we'll talk about is... It's still the controversies, it's still the punditry, it's, and then it becomes the kind of thematic stuff of why are this team failing, you know, what's gone wrong for Mourinho, what's gone wrong for Arteta, you know, Villa's spending or whatever, like, we'll find the broader issues, the games will provide, the games will kind of steer where that conversation goes, but the, the conversation won't actually be about the games, and maybe, like Steve says, that's, that's not, that's, not even maybe, it's definitely not a bad thing, because ultimately... Once it's done, how much is there to say about an individual game? We shouldn't, we shouldn't, maybe we're too distracted by what happens in one-off games. Maybe we should think more about patterns. I think the, the takeaway from the first Premier League games we've seen is that they're, although the experience of watching them, the atmosphere and the intensity hasn't been quite what we are used to, a lot of the results have been strangely familiar. Manchester City beat Burnley 5-0, as they had done at home in each of the previous seasons. Everton and Liverpool drew nil-nil at Goodison Park, as they have done in every Goodison Park derby dating back to, what, the 1940s. (laughs) Arsenal lost to Brighton, as they did earlier on in the season. There's not actually been all that many standout... Newcastle beating Sheffield United 3-0, Steve? Yeah, that was a bit of a surprise to me. With with a red card. Yeah. And Southampton winning 3-0 at Norwich... And those are the sort of games that Norwich-Southampton won, and I think that has been replicated by what we've seen in Germany, that those where you've got two struggling sides or two sides low down in the table, the absence of a crowd and the atmosphere that to take that Norwich-Southampton game under, 
Under other circumstances, Norwich may well have been galvanised by their home support and have got a result against Southampton. But actually, that result ended up reflecting probably a reasonable balance of the strength of the two teams. And that has been the same in Germany. The technically gifted teams, those at the top of the table, have generally won their games, as you would expect them to do. And the games that have really suffered have either been those, a struggler or a smaller team, Union Berlin against Bayern, for example, where they didn't have the home crowd crowd in that tight Kupernik stadium to drive them on against Bayern or again games involving two struggling sides which have failed to catch fire because they haven't had the intensity of the the atmosphere and what's at stake and I'd imagine that we will see that replicated in the Premier League. And, and it's interesting, we've been talking about the fact that uh, not that much of what the conversation is outside of football is affected by the football. The circumstances outside of football right now are so strange and so unique that that's going to perhaps affect the conversation about the football uh, so much as the conversation is about the football in the future. On the Sky coverage of the, the Merseyside derby, John Barnes said a very interesting thing that Everton, he felt, played differently because there weren't vociferous fans supporting them. They might have made some injudicious forays forward with all the, the passion of the game and, and the, the crowd at Goodison pumping the uh, the, the, the kind of adrenaline of the Everton players, they were more circumspect, which they were able to do a little bit more because they didn't have the crowd there, which brings us rather beautifully uh, back to our original point, which is where Chinch now takes us because it is time for Nevermind Jack and Ori, What a Soccer Story. This is when Andy Hitchcliffe tells the tale from his playing on broadcasting days with all adult behaviour, libel-worthy details, and maybe fake crowd noise removed. Yeah, we, we started uh, the pod talking about crowd noise. I just wondered whether you would want a broadcaster's view of how important crowd noise is. I can hear you hollering into your microphones. Yes, Chinch, tell us more. Yes, Chinch, tell us more. Uh, yes, Chinch, get... tell us more. Steve, let's, cut it, let's cut it short. <laughs> no, 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 we're going to do it, Steve. We, the majority people's... want this. Chinch, people's commutes are shorter at the moment. There's not so much traffic. So let's just make the episode a bit a bit. Tighter. I'll, I'll, I'll just speak faster. Um, this is going to be, my stories tend to be either hilarious or poignant, but this, I suppose I'll define this story as, um, it's, a, it's a nice bit of information. <laughs> it's a nice bit of information, Rory, I thank you. It's been, as we talked about, a learning experience for organisations, the leagues, the clubs, the players, and even wonderful co-coms like myself. Let, let me explain myself. Right, so we got the first game back. We talked about it, Villa-Sheffield United. And it's understandable that I'm chosen to co-commentate on such a big game. These big matches. Moment of history. Doing, yeah, moment in history. It's like, it's like when they asked you to do co-coms on Tiananmen, Chinch. Yeah, and I, I wasn't on the grassy knoll. But anyway, big moments in history. Chinch is going to be there. So uh, on, on the gantry, we have our, our comms box for the layman. It's a communications box, but we shorten it because it's quicker to say. It's a comms box. It's all the wires and headphones and they come out of. We have a button on, on, this, on this box, which is the effects button, but they shorten it to just FX, which, you know, why use seven letters when you can use two? Is that so what we, that means, Chinch? It is. It is. Do you not know that? You I wish I'd asked you about that sooner. Only in football. Only in football it's called FX. It just saves on, it saves on the, the, the labeling as well, the tape they use to put, you know, FX. So again, this is basically the sound of the ground. It's the the noise of the fans. So if you don't have any fans there, my choices as a, a broadcaster, I've got turning the FX up and basically what you're going to get is the players' voices, which in essence is swearing every second word in different languages or nothing. So I thought, I don't really, I'm going to find maybe the players kind of shouting at each other off-putting. So I chose to have no sound at all. So I just knocked off effects completely. And it was so weird. It was like talking into the the Grand Canyon. And it's not because, as usual, there's no one there listening to me, but it's just that the words just seemed completely lost. It just seemed to fall flat. There was no emotion to it at all. So clearly, it's fan noise that gets Chinch's punditry juices flowing. I'm talking about myself in the third person here. Um, so I needed to recreate that kind of, that, that burble, the fan noise in the next game that I, I did, which was going to be Newcastle, Sheffield United. So being the star that I am, I, I clearly phoned the producers up and said, I want, yes, I want the swan eye sculptures. I want the caviar. But I also want some generic fan noise pumped into my ears through my headphones. And so I don't want it specific to Newcastle or Sheffield United because that's what the viewers are going to get back at home. I just want, have you got a general soundtrack of, of, of fans? And they said, for you, Chinch and Gary Neville, yes, we can do this. So <laughs> they played this. So I, again, with the effects, I can adjust this. And the difference it made 
was was unbelievable because in, in terms of you, you need i feel you need something to pitch your voice against you need some background noise especially when goals go in we didn't get any at villa park which was a, a bit of a blessing we got three at st james's so i felt having that that background noise which we're so used to having worked in the industry for many many years and excelled in it i needed some some noise to work against and it was just it was brilliant it made such such a difference so I think it's fair to say on so many levels, the fans not being there is being felt, felt by everybody. And for me, they can't return soon enough. And in conclusion, I actually wrote this down because it's a really important line, probably my most important line of, of the podcast. Uh, fan noise is my audio Viagra. It gets me going and it keeps me up for well over 90 minutes. So God bless you, football fans. I think we took that bit. Come on. No one needs that imagery in their heads. It's my, my voice is up and at it. That's all that's up and at it, Rory. You don't have, have to think any lower than my throat. You either cut that out or it's the promo. I can't decide which <laughs> way it goes. If there's any member of the podcast crew who continually talks about being up for things, and it's not necessarily just about his throat, um, it's Andy Hinchcliffe. Uh, keep your correspondence coming to setpiecemenu at gmail.com. We are very grateful for every item we receive. Don't forget to have a look at our new YouTube channel as well. Please do subscribe to that. And indeed, to the podcast, share, rate, and review, as we humbly ask you to continue to find room for us in your podcast schedule. Thank you to Stephen, Andy, and Rory. And to you all for listening, we'll be back with another Set Piece Menu for you to enjoy very soon indeed. What are we putting on this YouTube channel? Me advertising Viagra. Audio Viagra. You've got to leave that in. There's nothing wrong with that. Of course that. we're going to leave it in. Of course you've got to leave it in. Steve, Milky. getting things back to uh, football here. You, you've mentioned that you don't like having the crowd noise when you're watching a game. I you'll be broadcasting. You'll be broadcasting very soon. I've mentioned that the benefit I feel from hearing crowd noise. Are you going to be having... Do you have an FX button? Are you, are you that technolo technologically advanced at the BBC? Or... Because we have them at Sky. I don't know whether that's just a Sky thing or do you have them as well? Well, well now I know what that button does and what... <laughs> what have you used it for in the past? I will be... I, I, I just let somebody else deal with the technicals. I haven't got the same kind of influence over the production that you clearly have. No, not, not really. It's just when they label a button, I tend to find out what it is and what it does. Do you just ignore it? If, Chin, the, Chin, the, she's very much the guy who, if there's a sign saying, do not press this button presses the button that's what <laughs> no, Jimmy I mean, that's not true at all with his with his audio viagra he's pressing <laughs> buttons <laughs> with his finger <laughs> uh, i found Dudison park very loud footballers shout very loudly well it mm. echoes doesn't it that's the extraordinary thing is that yeah. the, the, the more people that are there the more that individual noises are dampened yes mm. the greater noise in its entirety is louder but individual noises don't carry because people dampen sound yeah. jordan henderson's scream is really more of a screech <laughs> jordan henderson screeches to get the to get a press start and it's it, I mean, it's blood curdling there's a lot of swearing because I, I turned my effects button up steve it's something new to you but you'll you'll, you'll probably find it beneficial that's spell um, that Spell that again for me, Chinjo. So it's basically, it's an F. Uh, write this down. Uh, an F followed by an X. Which... Is, there a de is, there a, is there a slash between the two? Can no. be. No, Can no, be. it's not F, X, it's FX. So, so anyway, yeah, I, I turned mine up so and I heard Tyrone Mings screech at uh, Matt Target because he won a header, which is, is probably what he's meant to do. F***ing brilliant targety. <laughs> I just turn, just turn it straight off again. <laughs> To be fair, oh, my that's not good. I can't work against that, can I? It's just bad language. I can't my, work against profanity. The thing that I liked the most was that Michael Keane, who, by the way, is a very polite shouter. Michael Keane's very, very, very encouraging character. I, I came away from, He's a timid character. I came away from that game quite liking Michael Keane. But the, the thing that, I, I, that really struck me was that he, he refers to players, and most people, you know, it's Oxy, it's, it's Tacky, it's Hendo... It, none of the Everton players really had the ball, so it's hard to know what they were. You didn't they know what called. team he was in. What, what, no, no, no. The, the, the players, so all, all the Liverpool players were, were, kind oh. of, were kind of nicknames. Michael Keane referred to players by both their names. He'd be like, Seamus Coleman, Lucha Dean. It's like he was commentating. It was <laughs> Seriously? Really funny. Yeah, it was really funny. He used both their names. Yeah, Seamus Coleman, Lucha Dean. He mainly talked about them. But it was really That's, funny. Tom Davis. Weird. It's really to, weird. That is he, really weird. Did he go to a grammar school where he has to use the surname? Well, maybe, yeah. It was, it, it, after a while, it became really, it was really striking. That he, Run the channels, is... Dominic Calvert-Lewin. <laughs> it takes far too long, doesn't it? By the time you, you said it, you played the ball, he's not heard you. He hasn't made the run. Nonsense.